2: Today on the Zabecast, hey, Nikki boy, come get you beaten. The Crimson Tide got a mouthful of their own blood on Monday night, and it sure didn't taste good. Matt LaFleur, your new Packers head coach, or so say reports, plus the creator of the indispensable Twitter follow, Super 70 Sports, and listener feedback. All that and more and a bonus. 45 minutes of me, locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. (laughs) here we go. Tuesday, January 8, 2019, and all hail the new behemoth in college football, Dabo Swinney and the Clemson Tigers routing Alabama 44-16.
0: And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Could not stop them. Could
2: not stop them. Absolutely right. Wow, the worst loss at Alabama in Nick Saban's tenure, and it was a beaten. Hello, everybody, and thanks for downloading the Zabecast. We've got a lot to talk about today. The game just finished up, so I've got some thoughts on that. The full shakeout of it won't take, t- will take until I think Wednesday, but man oh man, Trevor Lawrence, huge in this game after a shaky start, twenty of thirty-two, three forty-seven, three touchdowns. And they just had too much all over the field for Alabama to handle. Where do we begin on this one? I'll start with the simple question of who had this? I had it. Not like I was dead solid on it. I just said, I'm taking Clemson. I think they're cut from a different cloth. Of course, I tweeted early on, "Uh, yeah, I don't feel good about this. And that tweet was then brought up to me a million times all night long, including from some people on Twitter that I don't even know. I don't even think they know me. I don't think they've ever heard of me. I think that somebody just pops it into their timeline and then they decide they, they got to tweet it at me like, oh, yeah, some guy from San Antonio said, you feeling good about it now, smart guy? And I'm like, uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for checking in. I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling just fine now, uh, even though I was nervous early on. A number of people, or at least they claim, had Clemson big money line. I had 20 bucks on them plus the points, so I'm just a small-time pitcher on this one. I just want to know who had it for ESPN. Of all their intelligent football people, and I do believe they've got a lot of intelligent football people, who had them? And who called it? I saw Lee Corso put on the Tiger head. Sometimes, though, I wonder, is he doing it just to sort of balance things out? I heard Chris Felica, the Bear, who we interviewed at the Army-Navy game, very smart college football guy. Uh, He had Clemson. I believe Jonathan Vilma had Clemson. He was on the sideline crew. So there was some that did, but there wasn't a lot, and nobody had him by this many points. Alabama was stopped three times on downs in the red zone, and they tried a fake field goal, which might have been one of the worst fakes in the history of fake field goals. Uh, let's see here. They know we're trying to fake it, and we're going to let a, a freshman holder be the lead blocker for a kicker to get a fourth and six, not a fourth and one? One? Yeah, not such a great idea. They were 0-3 on fourth down. And like I said, it's the most Alabama has beaten by. It's the most that Alabama has lost by. Am I saying that right? It's the largest margin, easily, that Nick Saban at Alabama has lost a game by, ever. The previous number was 14. Bama's undoing, penalties, big plays, panic. And just not being the better team, that's going to be the hardest thing for a lot of people, not a lot, some, to get their head around that actually Clemson has surpassed Alabama in every regard, especially in regards to talent. It's like they showed up with a bigger gun this time. They might have outcrafted and outfoxed Alabama for the first national championship But, man, they brought more weaponry to the table. And they left some weapons behind in the form of the three guys they lost due to the uh, steroid suspension. And, of course, Trevor Lawrence, everyone's talking about him. Oh, my God, he's going to have to play two more years before he can finally cash an NFL paycheck. He's NFL ready right now. Slow the fuck down, everybody. He looks really good. But this is the same Alabama team early on as they're killing everyone that some idiots were saying, they can beat the Buffalo Bills. Uh, They're not going to lose this year. Things change and adjustments are made and every progression with a player or a team is not linear in a straight upward diagonal fashion. But yes, uh, Trevor Lawrence looks ridiculous. We'll see about next year. Everyone was all giddy for Tua after last year. How'd Tua look? Uh tonight, not great. Not great, Bob. Some of it, I'm sure, was the ankle. Some of it, you can't blame on the ankle. Not seeing blitzes coming off the corner, making uh, less than good judgments. Bad pick early on that set the tone. Still, I'll take him if the Redskins land on him. If they tank next year, tank for Tua. i still fine with that. Let's tank for Tua. And if that doesn't work, then we'll tank for Trevor the next year after that. Speaking of tanking for a particular player, here's a crazy thought. What if a team sitting at 1-1, or actually a team sitting anywhere in the draft, what if a team could draft a guy who's not yet eligible? So in other words, this year you could have the Arizona Cardinals, not that they will because they already supposedly got their franchise guy, but let's just say they, they said, you know what, with our first pick. We're going to take Trevor Lawrence. We're going to wait. We're going to sit. We're going to wait. Yes, you lose two years of production waiting for this player to come along. Every year lost with a draft pick, especially a high draft pick, can never be recouped. But still, what would people think about that idea? Like it? Don't like it? Hate it? How about this? Instead of taking uh, your pick at number one, you just defer that number one pick to next year. So instead of locking in on a guy, let's say Trevor was coming out next year. Let's say Trevor and Tua were both coming out next year. And let's say Arizona this year won, well, they won three games, but let's say they won one game or zero, and they don't have any quarterback whatsoever, and they're like, we have got to get a quarterback. We know two good ones. If not great ones, if not generational ones, are coming out next year, but we don't want to, we don't want to miss out on that. So we don't have to, we don't have to go one and fifteen again for that. What if we deferred our pick to next year? So in other words, they pick one one next year, and everyone gets bumped down a spot. You'd only be able to defer, let's say, one year. How would you feel about that? Stupid, or? as it sometimes can be with me, brilliant. And I am not afraid to say it. Brilliant! Brilliant, boss! Brilliant! And I'm sure there's compli- Well, What would that do to the draft order? We can work out the details. I'm just asking in general, how do you feel about a team being able to either defer their number one pick or to draft a guy who's not yet eligible? Because you know everybody in the world Wants this kid, Trevor Lawrence. Of course, Championship Night brought out the usual people on Twitter talking about the kids being exploited for the millions that these coaches are making and everything else. I'll say it one more time. Uh, Not one more time. I'll say it again. I'll say it every time this talk comes up. And I'm not even going to make the argument about how valuable a scholarship is and how kids and their parents break down in tears when they might have been a walk on. They're like, we're going to give Smith the scholarship. Oh, my. And the kid, the team goes, yeah. And they break down. Schools like to push these videos out, and they do go viral. And I know they're propaganda, but the tears and the joy of it is real. It's a huge windfall for families that don't have a lot of money. Yeah, but they should be making cash. Okay. You want to pay the players. Okay, you're going to you're gonna make a mini professional league out of college football. The first thing I'm going to say if I'm college football is, okay then, we need an entry mechanism into our ecosystem so you can get paid as professionals, and therefore, we're going to have a high school draft. Whoa, no, 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 no. We can't have that. Why not? This is a pro league now. We're not just going to let guys go wherever they want. They'd all go to Alabama or to Clemson. Then we wouldn't really have a balanced league. Well, that's not that's not fair. This is college after all. and They want to be close to their families so they can see them play. Okay, fine. No entry mechanism like a real pro league. But wherever you choose to go, you're going to sign a three-year contract. Three-year contract, you cannot get out of it. And, oh, by the way, you are tradable. Because remember, you're a pro now. So if you're not working out... Then we can trade you. So if you're okay with that, then sure we'll make a little miniature pro league and we'll pretend like like there's no Title IX issues that'll crop up and we'll pretend like these, uh, you know, school budgets that are based on the football program, we'll just blow those up out of the water. Yeah, I know you could make you could make it so that these kids could could profit from their likeness, such as jersey sales or autograph signings. But get ready for an absolute world of hurt if that were to happen because money would flow to these kids. The left guard would do an autograph signing somewhere at a car dealership at some school that's not as popular as Alabama, and the kid would get six people to show up for his autograph, this left guard, and he'd still make hundred grand for it because, oh, where's the money coming from? Well, you know, the dealership said it was a smart investment. He's a very popular left guard for Vanderbilt or Kentucky. I got to keep up with the Joneses in the SEC. This is the only way to get them. Got to promise this kid some money off his likeness. Well, how do we know who's the owner of that car dealership? Oh, it's a very rich booster of Kentucky or Vanderbilt or something like that. Vanderbilt's a bad example. They're a very smart Prestigious school that I don't think would stoop to those shenanigans. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt might say at that point, "Yeah, we, we got to get out of the, out of the SEC. We, we can't play this game. We're really once you allow kids to make money off their quote likeness and marketability, and money just starts flowing around the side door by way of boosters and other, you know, under the table money now goes over the table in the form of fake." endorsements, then we're out because we really can't compete. We have a hard enough time competing as is in the SEC. This is going to make it a complete joke. Man, that catch by Justin Ross, number eight for Clemson. <laughs> Unbelievable. I also liked Christian Wilkins crying as the game was winding down. And I loved uh, Herb Street pointing out that he's one of the few northern guys on the Clemson roster, he's from Massachusetts. Man. One of the uh, one of the wideouts for Clemson, who caught one of the touchdown passes, he's from Alabama, went to Clemson. You can't build a wall around the entire state when it comes to talent. That's just going to happen. And I also like the fact that Mike Wilbon tweeted, how oh, Maryland fans going to like that Mike Locksley play calling down at the goal line. Oh, God. Yes, the play calling completely sucked balls. Three, Two straight runs, maybe three straight runs stacked. Heavy jumbo formation against a 10-man box, if not an 11-man box. What do you think is going to happen? But in answer to Wilbon, you know, Maryland just had a kid die and the coach was finally ousted after a very ugly situation. Loxley is quite highly regarded as an offensive mind and as a recruiter, he comes from Alabama. I would think that Maryland fans are not going to be so picky as to go, "Ah, we got a bum. Look at those plays. Like, we can't have this guy. He doesn't know how to call plays near the goal line. So there you go. college football is a wrap for the 2018-2019 season. As my friend Tim Murray tweeted, week zero – is August 25th, and he mentioned some teams that are playing that day, and I have long since forgotten. It was fun college football. would like to see more programs get up on this level, but right now it is Clemson and it's Alabama's Worlds. And I'm not counting out Alabama for next year, but this was an Alabama team that had some weaknesses, and Clemson found them and punished them. One other big news story before we get to our guest, uh, Super70Sports on Twitter. Looks like Matt LaFleur is the new Packers head coach, and people are asking me, because he was once on the Redskins staff, what do you know about him? Well, here's what I know about him. First of all, he comes to you by, by way of Tennessee, where he used to be on McVay's staff in L.A., and McVay said, I'll let you leave to go help you know, climb the ladder. Funny how that is. He was cool with him leaving for a better job. I digress. He lets him go to Tennessee, and he was unremarkable as a play caller at Tennessee. His offense was pretty much similar to Malarkey's and the so-called exotic smash mouth. So it's not like he's super hot coming in, but he is well-regarded, and he was on the Redskins staff with McVay, and with Kyle Shanahan as fellow assistants in 2013. So under Shanahan, that'd be Big Mike, Red Lobster. Yeah, that's right. Kyle, Sean McVay, and LaFleur. We went 3-13 th- and 13 that year. Eh, so it just goes to show you, coaching is not necessarily everything. Word is he's going to coach Aaron Rodgers hard, and he's going to challenge Aaron Rodgers. Okay, then. Also, word is they're working on keeping Mike Petton and the defensive staff together, or at least large chunks of it. I don't quite know how I feel about that. I'll need to read more as daybreak rises on Tuesday morning. But it looks like Matt LaFleur will be the first head coach hired and will be the Packers head coach. I know this. He's uh, very handsome. So you got that going for you. Uh, very handsome, new head coach, unlike Coach McPositive, Bob's big boy. So they had Imagine Dragons playing at halftime of the national championship game. It seems like a pretty solid act to me, but I love how on Twitter we all have a certain element of comic book guy from The Simpsons, where no matter what act it is, you want to turn your nose up and go, Bleh. No thanks. I saw somebody tweet, coming up at halftime, Imagine Dragons. Stick around for Imagine Dragons. And the guy goes, no, on Twitter. (laughs) Okay then, don't stick around. Go do the dishes or take the trash out. I bet they could say, coming up at halftime, we have reanimated Elvis Presley from DNA and will give a live performance right here. No, I don't like music I'm not going to... I'm here to watch the football. I don't want music. Also, early in the game, I tweeted out something stupid. I panicked and I said, I'm already regretting taking Clemson. I don't think Sunshine has it tonight. And literally within a minute, I said, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to shut up now. Somehow people only picked up the tweet where I said Clemson doesn't have it. And everybody is running to be a tattletale bitch to old takes exposed. Ooh, old takes exposed. By the way, I know the guy that runs the site. I think I've been on it before. It's a pretty mundane old take. If I quickly in this championship game said, Ah, shit, Clemson's not going to win this game. Ooh, ooh, let's put that out there. Do you know how many really bad old takes are out there? Here's one for you. Apparently, in 2012, an NFL field goal kicker, place kicker, tweeted out, Goal posts are your best friends. That was Cody Parkey in 2012. That, my friends, is an old take exposed. But enough of this, this aged well, Uh, or... Uh, CC at Old Takes Exposed. Oh, stop being tattletale bitches. Like, oh, somebody got something wrong on the internet. Somebody made a sports prediction that wasn't correct. Ooh. Feedback time. I appreciate each and every one of you that sends me feedback. At Zabe on Twitter, but better yet, send it to me at Zabe at Yahoo.com. Also, if you comment on the postings of the podcast on the website, zabe.com, I read those as well, and they also get sent to me via email. I got one guy who left a comment saying, these Steakhouse Confidentials are terrible. And I thought, okay, tell me more. Like, how is it? The sound quality was what I was worried about most. Was the ambient sound going to be too distracting, overwhelming? Was it going to be hard to hear the people? And I think I've got the setup now where it sounds good enough to my ears. But I'm listening to the to the audio on my computer with two Bose desktop speakers, and so I'm kind of focused in. I've also listened on my phone. It, it sounds like it's sufficient. It's fine. I've thought about using different mics. I've thought about putting lavalier mics on each person around the table so that they don't have to worry about leaning into their mic and it can be even more casual. But those microphones are not as good, not as robust, not as directional as the mics I set up on the table. And so, therefore, I don't know how that would sound. I'm going to try to experiment with that. Is it because I'm not getting good enough guests? Because I am trying, and I'm trying to get better-named guests. I thought last week's guys, the gambling guys, uh, were good. I-, I learned a lot about the way daily and the way legalized digital, mobile sports gambling is going to work. I found it interesting, but you may not. So let me know. Feedback on that. Also, here's one from uh, Rob Barry in Ponte Vedra. He writes to say, Steed, I heard you talk recently about shortening the length of the podcast to about a half an hour or so. I understand your concerns about there being a lot of content out there people need to get to daily. However, I don't think you're accounting for one key thing. Those of us that listen and download, the Zabecast is maybe our favorite podcast. Therefore, I think we'd mostly agree that we'd like to keep it at least close to an hour a day. Typically, I listen to the podcast to and from work daily. In the ZabeCast Facebook group, most people do the same. So while I understand your concerns, I think you're off base just a bit. As always, keep up the good work. Rob, Barry, and Ponte Okay. Rob, you make a good point. And I didn't even think about that. I'm I'm thinking about shortening the podcast to appease some listeners or downloaders or fans I haven't even captured yet. Well, that doesn't seem right now, does it? So... There's that. The other thing is, I can't keep it to 30 minutes. I've tried, and I just blah, 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 prattle on too much. So I think you're okay on that regard. This one from Rob Helmick. Zabe, I admit that I canceled the $5 a month premium because it was just some non-professional dudes talking sports. If you had professionals like Scott and Solly, I'd be be back in and glad to pay even more more first of all we had one week in which I had a guest cancel on me for steakhouse oh, by the way the, the premium um I don't know what he's talking about there we've we've always had some quote-unquote professional dudes i I would say church is a professional dude I would say that um, the guests I've had on on the football five Ways, have been professional dudes but okay whatever Rob goes on to say have you ever considered the NPR model of making the Zabecast free but asking for donations I would pay $20 a month or more to get five days a week of Sally Scott and you if you threw in an ale coin once a month there's some other stupid swag for bigger donations I probably would donate even more for my money it just feels better when someone asks for a donation now that I'm well off, I would gladly pay more for this show, but poor folk could still get access for free, just a thought. It To me, it seems like a difference without a distinction. I'm giving you four a week for free, and a fifth that costs money. And maybe you don't want to pay for the fifth, that's fine. I don't know how a donation makes it any different. And I think $20 a month, I mean, come on. It's a lot of money a month for just a podcast. P.S. I'm retired, age 42. Actually, I retired at 42. I'm 55 now. I live on the beach with my smoke show wife, but each day I used to look forward to laying in the sun and around the pool for the three hours of podcast from you, Scott, and Solly. I'd love to have that back again. Just my two cents. By the way, I've lived in Arizona and Florida, and Florida is much better place to retire. I'm now 61. Okay, he's 61. And I love every second of the Florida lifestyle. Arizona gets too cold at night but Florida is nice and warm 24 hours a day. In addition, Arizona makes your skin dry and crackly because it's too dry there, while the moist Florida air makes your skin feel great. You may not worry about that yet, but you will when you get older. One final advantage is the beach. It's like comparing Thanksgiving to 4th of July. 4th of July will always win because of the chance someone will wear a bikini. That's not happening on Thanksgiving. Just saying, I love Florida, and I love you, Zabe. No baseball, please. Sincerely, Rob Helmick. Okay, then. Thank you for that. Steve. I understand it's a new year and all, but you don't have to go fix what ain't broke. Why the change from the Romo introduction to that Sergio dip having the time of his life or whatever it is? It's stupid AF. The Romo piece was gold, fit perfectly in what was inevitably always a solid podcast. Kind of got me fired up like Romo was. Anyway, this shtick doesn't make any sense. Just saying, regards, happy new year. TikTok tock as he goes by on the website. Um, I've already replaced. I put Romo back in there. I thought the Sergio dip having the time of his life would sound good, but it doesn't, doesn't pop as much. It doesn't have as much edge as I was hoping. This one from Corey in West Virginia. Zabe, you've probably gotten a ton of emails on your movie rundown. That was from a, a week ago about how bad movies are nowadays. There's one big issue I have with your analysis. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is not a family movie. I don't know if I called it a family movie, but maybe I did. I watched it when I was way too young and it fucked me up. Specifically, the scene where the dude is slowly lowered into a pit of lava, but not until after his still beating heart is ripped out of his chest. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that that was something else. I thought about that scene every day. Every single day for two years afterwards as a kid, it haunted me almost as much as the large Marge scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Here's the scene. He sends me links to both of these. Also, Temple of Doom is a tough watch nowadays, what with two hours of constant shrieking from that blonde chick Spielberg was banging at the time. Uh, who was that woman? Better stick to more wholesome family movies like Showgirls or Striptease. Aha, good zinger. Boys will also think about these movies every day for two years, but for very different reasons and have much better adulthoods because of it. Corey in West Virginia. Finally, Chad writes to say, Zabe, you were my inspiration for creating a three television setup in the basement. So I'm sending you these pictures. We bought this place four years ago and remodeled the whole thing. We did the main floor, and no matter what the wife said or what the wife wanted, I said, fine, I'm all in. Never a question was asked, no expense was spared. Then, two years later, I started on the basement and I told her, honey, you had yours. Now I'm gonna build mine. Fast forward to now, and my two boys and I have the ultimate hangout place. Both their bedrooms are down here as well. It's about sixteen hundred square feet. A footprint is a little bit goofy, but we've made it work. We even got a full bathroom down here. So we have all we need. Thanks for all the laughs over the years. You brought me some great joy. Hope you and your family had a great year. Look forward to seeing how the podcast grows now that football's winding down. I'm also happy to see the Zay blog is coming back. Keep up the great work. You've got a hardcore fan here in rural Michigan, Chad. Thank you for the pictures. I enjoyed looking at them. And yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I said, and I asked how old his boys were, and I think they were 14 and 12. And I said, Man, I'm jealous. That is great. If you got boys that love sports and you've got a basement hangout and their bedrooms are down there, just imagine the hours you as a dad would spend down there watching sports on multiple TVs. That is that's good stuff right there. So I'm glad to be your inspiration. And anyone else that wants to send me their basement pictures, you know where to send them. You know, for the most part, Twitter is an absolute cesspool of hot takes, fake outrage, tattletales and stale memes, but the guy I've got on the phone right now has single-handedly made it a much better place. You better start following Super 70s Sports. He is the creator, Ricky Cobb. Ricky, great to finally talk to you on the ZabeCast. How are you?
0: Uh, Zabe, thanks for having me on, man. I'm, I'm great today, and, and how could I not be? I'm, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on your pod.
2: There you go. I've, uh, I forget when I started following you. I'm sure I could look it up on Twitter. It doesn't matter. Ah, uh, you started this account when December of 2013 says Twitter created it
0: then, but really began it in earnest. I would say at the beginning of 2015.
2: Okay, in, in terms of
0: you know daily daily post and taking it seriously, okay, or so sort of seriously.
2: You are Ricky. You're in Chicago. Is that it? I am. Yes. Are you Are you from Chicago? Of Chicago? By Chicago?
0: I am not. I was I was born and raised in Kentucky, and uh, lived there uh, until I, I got out of uh, got out of college and was ready to begin my career. And my career brought me to the Chicago area, and I've been here for about fifteen years. Okay, so, so I consider myself a, a Chicago chicago guy at this point i think 15 years you know you put in that much time you ought to be able to claim it but uh if you detect a draw uh that's because i'm from kentucky
2: well ricky cobb sounds kentucky you sound authentic (laughs) kentucky right there i like that name it
0: does indeed yeah by the way
2: i'm just assuming you're about my age i'm 50 how old are you
0: i am 47 so you are you
2: are Ooh. correct sir. So you're a little on the shaded young side to be so in tune with things from the 70s. Of course, Super 70s Sports include some things from the 80s, right?
0: It does much to the uh, much to the consternation of some people. You know, people get a little OCD about that uh, about that Twitter handle. You
2: know, <laughs> hey, that's from the '80s. So you, but but really, oh, it's God. a it's a sports no- nostalgia account in which you find things, pictures, videos, and you post them, and it brings a warm feeling to a lot of us about this age, about things the way they used to be.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, that's that's what I'm aiming for, and and the account has evolved. I, I I don't know that I would have named it Super 70 Sports if I had known what it was going to become. But I, I always tell people that we go beyond sports and we go beyond the '70s. But but sports and the '70s are the backbone. You know, that that's our home base. We never right. stray very far from that.
2: What would you rename it if you could right now without <laughs> much disruption?
0: Oh my God, I have I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. So you haven't uh, given it maybe, a whole lot of thought. I haven't given it a whole lot of thought because you know the ship sailed and it was the good ship Super seventy Sports and we're too far out of port to look back now.
2: Yeah, um, may I ask what you do for a living, or do you want to keep that private?
0: No, it's it's fine. I think it's I think it's common knowledge. I'm a college professor.
2: Okay, well, of, what? Day. of what?
0: Of Soci- what? sociology.
2: Okay, good, good. That makes sense. See, anyone, Ricky, can find old photos and post them. That's not the trick. What makes your site, Tucker, shut up, will you? Dog's in here. <laughs> I think he hears that mommy's home and he's like, get me out of this office right now. Um, I think what makes the site so addictive is your writing is so perfect. It's pithy. It's funny. It is abs like the writing for each of the photos you post is almost always perfect do you do you take a lot of time thinking about i got to get the perfect caption for this photo
0: um you know sometimes i i take a lot of time other times it comes to me immediately i i i try most of the time to just kind of shoot from the hip i i think it's more authentic that way and I want my I want my voice to be the same voice that my friends would hear if we're knocking back a couple of beers right. and, and watching a game. And I think that if I uh, if I spend too much time trying to sanitize it or get the wording perfect or whatever, it's not really true to what I'm what I'm trying to accomplish. So, right. not a ton of thought goes into most of the captions, yeah. although occasionally I might labor over one.
2: A picture of right now, I'm looking at the expos. And for some reason, Ron Howard, this must have been spring training. Ron Howard is in full gear. And your caption is, in 82, the Expos finished six games back in the NL East. And I've always blamed it on Ron Howard not getting enough at bats. Yeah. <laughs> Where mean, was that they, photo they taken? They have in there more. Yeah. Like, I, I, what was he doing on the, on the bench for the Expos?
0: Absolutely no idea. And the, and the great thing about so many of these photos that I find is that I find the photos and – Oftentimes, they really have no context. Right. So, that's kind of, so it's kind of up to me to create the context. And so I, I liberally rewrite history uh, wow. with, with a lot of these captions. And sometimes the photos are so good that whatever you could possibly imagine is, is a lot better than uh, what the boring truth would have been. So wow. I almost kind of like it that way sometimes, not knowing.
2: A picture of Evil Knievel being uh, lifted into his homemade rocket before his ill-fated attempt to jump the Snake River Canyon, an event that was so cemented in my youth, Ricky, that I remember it to this day. I was a huge Evil Knievel Mark, and your caption is simply, "Quote: Hold my wild turkey," which we now know, obviously, he was big on the wild turkey. Good stuff. He was there. Uh,
0: he was big on it, and uh, you know, I feel like personally. Uh, you know, if we knew what his blood alcohol uh, level was on on some of these jumps, uh, you know, he wasn't going to blow all zeros. Let's put it that way.
2: No, exactly not. What was the best thing about the '70s in sports, in your mind?
0: Well, th- th- you know, that's a great question, and and I would say that the aesthetic is is a huge part uh, of the enjoyment. the The fact that the the hairstyles were so crazy, the facial hair was so crazy that the fashions were were so far out there so, you know so far out there to the point that you look back at some of these photos today and you can't imagine that anybody walked out of the house uh you know styled up the way that they were right and groomed the way that they were you know completely uh, unironically
2: larry brown yet- in a full leisure suit on an nba sideline
0: Absolutely, at Larry Brown coaching in overalls,
2: yes, on, on
0: the sideline as well. You know, and you just think to yourself, it was it was just a freewheeling time where people were going so far off the page from what had uh, you know previously been the the social norms that uh, it just it was just something wildly different. And as time goes on, and as we've moved past the 70s and through the 80s, which in their own right were were, were kind of weird. But uh, you look back on it, and it's just sort of this singular period that there's no other time frame that you can really equate it to. And so I think that that's part of the appeal, is it was just sort of this period of time that came and went and was just kind of remarkable in a number of different ways.
2: It was before sports became relentlessly monetized in every nook and cranny there was in the 70s ricky there was so much money just left on the ground because nobody thought like well we should charge for this or maybe we should make some of these things to sell to the public
0: you are absolutely spot on with that you know i i I post photos from from old nhl games for instance and, and occasionally i'll post something from the 60s and and you look at the fans and they're not not only are they not on their cell phone obviously not only are they uh, well dressed and oftentimes they look like they could be going to church but uh, obviously you don't see one jersey in the crowd you know right. getting back to what you're talking you about you couldn't
2: but, buy those things you'd lo- you'd be lucky to get a t-shirt and you'd have to go to the stadium to get the t-shirt because there didn't well, exist standalone stores that sold that stuff
0: you are exactly right, and you know it's funny. I used to go growing up in Kentucky. I used to get to go to one baseball game a year. My mom would take me to one baseball game a year, which meant we were going to drive about three and a half hours to Cincinnati.
2: Oh my god!
0: And that was that was a big deal because that was my opportunity to pick up some swag. Because there would be <laughs> folks outside Riverfront Stadium selling jerseys, not just of the Reds, but you know, I remember one year I picked up an Oakland A's jersey and a Cleveland Indians jersey, and that was my chance because you're you're right. You're, there, there was no way to obtain this stuff. That's why the Sears Wish Book was such a big deal when right. we were kids. Yeah, because that was your chance to, to to get some stuff. You couldn't just walk into a store and and find it. Uh, you know, overflowing off of the racks like today.
2: Then there was things that no longer exist, uh, physical things like helmet carts in the nfl <laughs> or starters yeah. pistols that nfl referees would use to signal the end of a quarter
0: oh yeah we, we thought nothing of it that was fine just just throw your piece up in the air and uh, fire a blank i mean i, you know, I presumably it was blank uh it's it, just a different time there was no real sensitivity to a lot of the things that that we're sensitive about now as a, as a culture. So cigarette ads were everywhere. Yeah. Uh, just Starter pistols being fired off by, by referees. Uh, there just wasn't a heck of a lot of, of regard for uh, things that uh, as a society, we, we hold in higher esteem now. So you look back on some of the things from the seventies and obviously I'm able to mine, quite a bit of comedy from, from some of these things, because, you know, even if you're just looking at an old ad from the seventies and reading the copy from an ad, so many of these things are sexist. So many of these things are
2: inappropriate.
0: Oh, inappropriate. in in, you know, dozens of different ways that, that you just think to yourself, Oh my God, if things changed that much since I was a kid that people could get together and put that ad copy together and everybody felt good about running with it. But but
2: they did. Yeah. I'm looking at a, a, a commer- an ad, a print ad, with Joe Namath flanked by four different women. And all I can think about, Ricky, is how many sexual misconduct lawsuits would Joe Namath be subject to if he were airdropped <laughs> into today's realm?
0: Joe uh, would, not have, would not have fared as well in the uh, TMZ everybody's got a cell phone on them and and ready to document uh, whatever you may be doing at any given moment so uh, joe namath as much as probably just about any athlete uh that i could think of was uh was in the perfect era for uh for when he could have uh maximized his potential let's say right and uh Namath in the 70s is like peanut butter and jelly. You know, you you can't imagine him uh, in the 50s. You can't really uh, uh, imagine it uh, uh, today. He he was a man of his time.
2: You have 20-some thousand tweets. Almost every single one of them, if not all of them, have a photo attached. I'm wondering, do you have your personal Hall of Fame? Like, these are my 20 most cherished images that I've either cultivated myself, or somebody sent them to me, or I just like them the most out of all the things I've posted.
0: You know, there—it's hard to think of them off the top of my head. Certainly, there are some tweets that
2: I'm not even asking what a, they are. I'm just wondering: yeah. Do you have your own Hall of Fame?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There okay. are there are some that, that that stand out. There are some, and, and they're not necessarily always the same ones that do the best. Because, you know, obviously, I'm happy when I get a lot of retweets, when I get a lot of likes, and something kind of gets out there and people are sharing it. That's satisfying. But uh, sometimes the ones that are the most popular with my audience aren't necessarily always my favorite. Occasionally, I'll put something out there that I think is just okay, and it takes off. And other times, I'll make myself laugh out loud. Right. Uh, which, I, which I don't often do actually, but occasionally I'll, I'll crack myself up and that one, you know, comparatively <laughs> might be, uh, might be less popular. So yeah. you never, you never know, you know, but I, but I've got a pretty good idea. Usually the, of, there are of what I, people are going to enjoy.
2: There has to be, by the way, do you have a family? Do you have kids?
0: Oh, do I ever? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm married. I've got. Uh, I've got five daughters, uh, two stepdaughters, and a granddaughter. So.
2: Man, mazel uh, mazel! What a what a collection <laughs> that is! You're like the Philip Rivers of the internet. Good for you. Yes,
0: sir, I am. So <laughs> um, I wonder, and, I'm tweeting at all. Okay, know? and tweeting, so uh, in, in the corner of a man cave, you are you just trying to get away from it all?
2: Are your daughters sports fans?
0: You know, I would say not really. I, uh, I my my oldest is sixteen, and uh, she was just joking with me the other day about how I how I tried. I really tried. I tried, but first, it
2: didn't take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that
0: first daughter, I I was in there. I was. I was helping her collect baseball <laughs> cards, and I had her, <laughs> I had her uh, uh, writing letters to uh, retired players for autographs. She was the only six-year-old, believe me, in her community who wrote a letter to Sal Bando. Oh wow! Uh, I can absolutely promise you that. But she, uh, she appreciates sports, but alas, uh, that's it okay. didn't really stick. That's like yeah.
2: my, that's like my daughter's. Do uh, did you, you say you had an adopted son?
0: Uh, no. So you've got got all uh,
2: daughters? daughters.
0: All daughters.
2: Wow. How about that? I I gotta believe, and, and you know, my daughter's casual sports fans at best, but I gotta believe that your account is a wonderful bonding point for fathers and sons who both love sports because the fathers who are our age can show their kids something and say, this was real. This is the way it used to be. Like, I'm looking at a blues goalie, with a mask on that looks like <laughs> a pretzel, it's insane. Yeah. And you show your kid it. this, and you say, "This was real. This is how it was back in the day."
0: Yeah, I would. I would like to think that that. Uh, that oh, there's New no Trump doubt. Would be a,
2: there is would be no a place doubt.
0: for that, and, yeah. and and I hope that I hope that the, the the comedy is enough, and and some of the other things I post are enough that. People that are younger than us can can enjoy it uh, in their own way as well, although they're certainly probably not going to get some of the references. Right. But occasionally I'll have somebody come to me and say, hey, you know, like – uh, I'm, I'm 25 years old and I don't get some of the things that you post, but you make me laugh, you know, a couple of times a day or whatever. And that's gratifying to me because I would like to think that the appeal, uh, you know, it, obviously it's in our wheelhouse, I think guys of our, uh, uh age and, 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 background, but if, if, when younger people enjoy it, I get a kick out of that as well. Yeah.
2: And there's also photographs and video clips of things that happen in sports, that you wouldn't believe it if somebody just said, hey, there was this one time that dot, 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 and they, their jaws would be like, what? No way. Like, for example, when that Bears fan jumped off of the railing behind <laughs> yeah. the net to catch cleanly a extra point that sailed over the catch net and landed some 20 feet down on the concrete ramp below and lived to tell about it. Like if yeah. you don't one have the, that clip, you can't prove it. Now that was not from the seventies, but there's no, a lot of things that did I, happen way back when that you've got video proof of.
0: I I used to, yeah, and that's one of the greatest plays ever uh, in an NFL game by by a complete idiot, but uh, a roofer <laughs> but what I, from Chicago. But I would yeah, but anybody to go out there, get on YouTube, and 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 find that, <laughs> or maybe I'll go find it and I'll tweet it. You're giving me material, but um, you know I used to I used to worry. In the early days of the account, I used to sort of uh, fret that I'm going to run out of content here at some point. Really, this is it's some at some point it's there's a finite amount of things that happened <laughs> in that era, but and yet is
2: you're not and out yet, of content. here we,
0: yeah, here we are, and I'm 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 sort of over that. I realize that there's there's enough stuff that that happened during that time period. It was so so rich. <laughs> Uh, for material that uh, I I don't think I'm ever going to
2: run out. I'm looking at the scanned box. It had to have been the box of a slip and slide. Magic (laughs) water slide is what the box said, and it shows kids on a perfectly manicured lawn having the time of their life. It was not a magic water slide, as you know. It was a piece of plastic. The margins on that had to be one of the greatest profits in the history of toys (laughs) that you'd put a hose in, And you would quickly slide down into a muddy bog with rocks and weeds, and it was not as fun as it looked on the box, but by golly, that's what we had as kids, and we loved it.
0: Oh, my gosh. The the dangerous things that we would do uh, uh, on a daily basis. Lawn darts. Lawn darts, yeah, absolutely. Got banned? If you you make it through the the, uh, slip and slide, uh, which, as you said, there's the only thing magical about that slip and slide is if you somehow got through it, uh, you know, three Not or injured. four runs down that thing without tearing tearing your butt into, right. you know. <laughs> and it is, if you survive that, well, the lawn darts are waiting for you, you know. It's we, we were just running the gauntlet every day of our lives, you know. One thing, the, you know, parents driving us around without seat belts uh, and. And so forth, riding our bikes. You see kids today outside, and I'm all in favor of safety, don't get me wrong, but you see kids riding around on their bikes and they've got helmets and knee pads and elbow pads. And, uh, you know, they, they, they look like they're, uh, uh, you know, preparing for uh, some incredible journey. And we just hopped on our bikes and we, uh, we rode around. And if we fell, our, our, our cranium was our helmet.
2: Yeah. I think my favorite has to be. The ginormous Andy Reid as a kid in the punt, pass, and kick competition. <laughs> yeah, you cannot yeah. beat that.
0: A- Andy Reid was the the ultimate like oversized kid who dominated little league. You know, a- almost any of us we can look back and we remember the kid in our little league that just developed a little faster than everybody else and. He was, uh, you know, sort of like the the puberty MVP, right? I mean, <laughs> the the kid who whose fastball is sure. a little hard to catch up to, and sometimes those kids. I remember I there was a kid in my little league who, unlike Andy Reid, was a normal sized kid, but he was he had a fastball that was was unreal. A, a, at least uh, that's how I perceived it at, at the time, and. You know, he wound up as an adult being about five foot seven and <laughs> a little guy. Now, Andy Reid is is the is the ultimate because if you and I would tell anybody, go out there and find the footage. It's from the I think it's the national finals of the punt, pass, and kick competition in I want to say nineteen seventy one, maybe. And it was on Monday Night Football at halftime. They had the kids out doing their thing, and you see this this row of normal sized. You know, fifth and sixth graders, and then there's what appears to be a grown man standing among them, and, and not just a grown man, but a large grown man. But uh, and it turns hap- out it,
2: happened to be a young Andy Reid, the very same coach of the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: And needless to say, uh, you know, it, it was men against boys at, I, at halftime. I never of heard, that heard that if Monday he won.
2: Night. I never heard. Did he win that competition? I don't think I ever I do heard. Believe-
0: I do believe that he won. Okay. I uh, I would not I would not uh, wager money on that, but I, I do believe that he won, and I don't know how he could have missed. If he didn't win, he should uh, have a hard time looking himself in the mirror every day.
2: Or, uh, he, or maybe he, he, had,
0: he had every physical attribute.
2: Or maybe he was leading up until the final competition and then blew
0: it. That was a cheap shot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's cheap <entirely> shot! Possible. <laughs> That's I
2: mean, a cheap we, shot.
0: We look at his track record, and we can see where. Uh, we can see where that would not be a, a, a shock.
2: The uh, account is Super 70s Sports. That's Super 70s Sports. He is Ricky Cobb. Uh, you can email him at rickydonaldcobb at gmail.com. The website is com. Please don't ever end this account. Or if you do end the account, give us at least. Three months' notice, so we can download <laughs> and and archive furiously everything you've dug up over the years. Deal?
0: Uh, you got a deal, man. And, and Zabe, I'm going to I'm going uh, to stick with it for a while. I'm uh, I'm on the I'm on the path here, and I'm having too much fun to uh, to call it quits. So uh, don't uh, don't uh, plan on me retiring anytime soon.
2: Very good, my man. Good to talk to you. Nice to meet you, and we'll keep it up. We'll see you, bud. All right,
0: my pleasure. Thanks.
2: Let's end on this today. Dateline, Charlotte, North Carolina. If you are accosting a woman and she runs away from you and runs into a nearby store and you run after her, what's the last place you would hope that she would run into? How about a karate studio? That's exactly what happened. August Williams, 46 years old, is accused of following a woman into a karate school on Statesville Avenue after he attempted to snatch her just before 9 p.m. Once in the karate studio, everybody was kung fu fighting, except for the perp himself, who got his ass beat and was promptly arrested. (laughs) That story is damn near perfect. Thank God the woman was able to get away and where she ran to. That'll do it for me today. Thanks for listening. Tell a couple friends. Download, subscribe, like. Get the Zabe Cast Premium by going to zabe.com slash premium. Feedback always appreciated at zabe at yahoo.com. Now get on out there and start recruiting for Alabama and Nick Saban because we just can't have this if we're Alabama. I mean, they got humiliated on Monday night. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.
1: Hi, I'm Thierry Henry and I invite you to listen to The Last Days of Maradona. It's a podcast where we will reconstruct the last moments of Diego Maradona's life. For many, November 25th of 2020 marked the death of a god, but throughout this series, we will discover that the person who died was just Diego, a father, a son, an idol. The Last Days of Maradona, a Spotify original podcast.